Welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On this episode, we have our first male coach of a Division I women's hockey team. We talk with Josh Skiba from the Union College Women's Ice Hockey Program. We discuss his playing with the U.S. National Development Team and college hockey at Notre Dame University. We also talk about his coaching experience with the USA Hockey Women's Program and development camps. In addition, we go into great detail on the Union Women's Hockey Program, having a young team, and financial aid for recruits. Josh also answers many questions about the college recruiting process and how offers are really made. Before we get to our guest, if you enjoyed this episode and want us to keep making more of them, please share it with teammates and friends. You can also subscribe, like, follow, and even better, it would be great if you would leave us a review. Now, let's drop the puck. I'm Gary, excited to have on the Champs App podcast, our first male Division I women's hockey coach, Josh Skiba, who is the head coach of the Union Dutch women's hockey team. Originally from Westland, Michigan, Josh played for the U.S. National Development Team before playing four years with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish men's hockey team. After spending a year playing pro hockey in the ECHL, Josh began his coaching career with the Niagara University Purple Eagles women's team, spending three years as an assistant coach before becoming their head coach for a year. After the program folded, Josh joined the Colgate program as an assistant coach for four years before becoming the head coach at Union in 2016. Beyond his responsibilities at Union, Josh has also been deeply involved with USA Hockey, twice as an assistant coach with the under-18 program, and also with the national summer camps, where I met him in person in St. Cloud this past summer, and he was generous with his time to answer a bunch of my college recruiting questions. So welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate uh, you having me. Really honored to be kind of the second, maybe official, male uh, guest on the show here. So really appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time back in St. Cloud. I, uh, I walked up to you in the middle of nowhere and said, hey, uh, do you mind if I ask you some questions? And I think you spent like 20 minutes or 30 minutes just answering a whole bunch of my recruiting questions, which uh, folks can kind of read what I wrote about in my summary of the, my, my time in St. Cloud in terms of what coaches were looking for at, at those uh, USA events. So once again, really appreciate it. Why don't we start off like we do all our guests and tell us a little bit about your hockey history. Obviously, you're a pretty darn good hockey player growing up. So uh, why don't you talk about, uh, you know, playing hockey in Michigan? Yeah, I, I tried really hard. Um, but, uh, no, I think growing up, I, I was lucky enough to, to play a lot of AAA hockey. I grew up playing for Detroit Honey Baked for probably six or seven years. Um, played there for, man, my, my squirt, my peewee, my bantams, uh, midget minor hockey. And then uh, actually made the jump to play uh, some junior hockey with uh, CompuWare in the North American Hockey League my sophomore year of high school. And then uh, my grade 11 and grade 12 year, I was lucky enough to play for the U.S. National Team Development Program in Ann Arbor at the time. Can I ask you a couple question about CompuWare? Yes. Yeah. They, they also just have AAA teams. Is that correct? They did, yeah. And they, I, I'm pretty sure they still do, but I know on the boys' side, they definitely do, yeah. Well, that was my question is how come they don't have a girls' one? I know Honey Baked, Bell Tire, Little Caesars, uh, now Big B. How come uh, CompuWare doesn't have a girls' team? You know, they, they used to. When I first started coaching, they had a CompuWare girls' teams. Uh, they had probably 14U, 16U, 19U teams. Um, and I don't know if they just collapsed those groups and some of the other kids went to some of the other programs like Caesars or Honey Baked or Bell Tire. But um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why they got rid of those women's programs. Gotcha, gotcha. And how did you get recruited to the national development team? You know, I think they obviously they have their scouting process, um, you know, playing in the North American League. We actually were, were playing against the NTDP. So um, I know just being scouted and being able to talk to that staff, I was, I was lucky enough to get a position from, you know, from one of those scouts and was able to join the U17 team. 
Gotcha. And that U17 team, I believe, uh, won gold medal at the uh, U17 World Challenge. So what was that like to, to, to be in that kind of level of competition? Yeah, it was an amazing experience. I mean, just, uh, you know, to win that tournament over time, I mean, the, the final game, uh, to be with that group was was something special. I mean, I'll, I'll always remember that experience and um, just a special group of guys that I was with, for sure. Gotcha. And um, to... Before we move on to you going to Notre Dame, what made you such a good hockey player growing up? Like, what were the influences and what were the keys to your success? And, you know, how much of it was you? How much of it was coaching? How much was your parents, like, you know, like driving you around and just helping you be successful? I think it was all-encompassing, honestly. I, you know, I got – I have two great parents that that drove me to drinks. They were there early in the morning. Um, they just, just allowed me to play hockey, quite honestly, you know, and they, they were able to do that. Um, you know, we had a lot of other people in our corner that, that really uh, – quite honestly, financially helped our family to be able to, to play hockey. Um, you know, so it was very fortunate there. Very fortunate to have some really good coaches along the way that, that had played hockey, um, that were more than just your average dad and, and behind the bench and really taught me the game. And then, um, honestly, growing up in Detroit, just being a Red Wings fan, you know, growing up like through the mid-90s and, and just through their heyday when they're winning Stanley Cups and watching Steve Eiserman and, you know, watching Brendan Shanahan, Sergey Federer, all these guys play and just – you know, trying to emulate what they do on the ice every day. I think that's where I learned quite a bit of it, watching Hockey Night in Canada with my dad. Um, and I think that's kind of the biggest thing that that really, you know, made me a, a good hockey player was just taking what I learned and what I watched and, and applying it. And and you must have watched a lot of hockey because they never missed the playoffs while you were growing up, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So many, so many playoff games, just, talk, you know, going down to Joe Lewis and uh, watching games on TV. I mean, just, it was it was quite the, the city to be a part of during the mid-90s for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. And when you joined the US NTDP program, um, did you think you were going to make the NHL? Like, does everybody on that team think they're going to make, make the NHL one of their one of you know when they make it to that level? I think I think at that age, you're probably the the maturity level. Yeah, would would say, hey, everybody's going to make the NHL. You feel like you're going to, and certainly that's the goal. Um, but yeah, I think as as that age, I mean, that was definitely the goal when you go there. How can I prepare myself to play college hockey and then eventually go to the NHL? Gotcha, gotcha. And so you were living in Ann Arbor for the program, and yet you decide to go to Notre Dame instead of Michigan. So how do you make that decision? Yeah, I think uh, when, when I went to Notre Dame, when I set foot on that campus and I was able to do an official visit, um, you know, and the assistant coach there, Andy Slager, who, who had recruited me for quite some time, honestly, he was part of my select 15 process when we did the national camps as boys. Um, you know, someone that had recruited me for a while. And then when I was on campus, just, just feeling what it was like on campus from an athletic perspective, from an academic perspective, there was no substitute for that. It just, I fell in love with the place and, and I really couldn't turn it down. Gotcha. And so the coaching relationship really helped over, you know, from going to the U.S. national camps and things like that and, and, and building that relationship with you. Yeah, su super grateful. I mean, Andy Slager, uh, you know, Dave Poulin was a head coach at that time. I mean, I remember them coming to visit me at our at our house, quite honestly, and just doing a home visit with my family. Um, and I thought that was above and beyond. I mean, just the love and care that they showed for for myself and my family was second to none. So it just it made the the experience that much more special. Gotcha. And you were a scoring winger, um, and they moved you to center. I think uh, either in your third year or for your fourth year, uh, and you had some ups and downs, right? But your third year was a real breakout year for you. Talk about just like your development during those four years. Yeah, I think so. When we started, we had a really good uh, upperclassmen group, my freshman year, senior group. And uh, I think we made the NCAA tournament for the very first time. And, um, you know, just a really, really quality group of, of players. Some of them went on to play in the National Hockey League. You know, sophomore year, those guys graduated. We went five camps. 
And uh, after that year, we have a coaching change. You know, Jeff Jackson comes in, completely changes the culture of our team um, and just implements a lot of structure um, and, and just the way we needed to play, quite honestly, and just changed how we, how we behaved, how we lived, how we uh, believed in what we could do each day. And uh, our program honestly really needed that. And then uh, my senior year, being number one in the country for, I think, nine or ten weeks, a regular season championship, a playoff title, NCAA tournament second round. It just it – was, it was an awesome experience, you know. And I think I, think I give Jeff and, and their staff a lot of credit because they're still, they're still doing it today. But I think, um, you know, they gave me a big-time opportunity in my junior and senior year to, to be a contributor and uh, really grateful for that. Great. Awesome. So how did you decide to go try out the ECHL after graduation? Uh, tell us, uh, you, you had a short stint in the pro career. Uh, yeah. So what, what was that like? And you were out here out west uh, where I am for at least a couple of those uh, teams that you played for. Yeah, I, I wanted to keep playing. You know, I knew uh, after I, I wanted to play some pro hockey and uh, I got a chance to play in a couple different places. I was in uh, Vegas for a while. I was in Bakersfield, California and ended up finishing the season in Dayton, Ohio. So um, it was awesome. It was a great experience. I wanted to play and actually looked at, at playing potentially another year afterwards. But um, it was great. I, I wanted to keep playing. I, you know, I thought playing professional hockey, I wanted to see how far I could go. And uh, I think, you know, making it to the ECHL and, and having that opportunity um, and, and feeling that was something I, I had to do. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so before we, we get into coaching, let's look back on your playing career. So – Starting with all from, from Mites all the way through to your pro career, who was your favorite coach and why? Uh, favorite coach, I mean, probably Doug Atomi at, uh, at Honeybaked. Um, I think just the way he was able to connect our group. Um, you know, we had a really group, a group of loyal people that stayed with Honeybaked for a long time. And I think, you know, now when you look at programs, I think kids are playing in all different, different spots every year. But um, I think he just did a great job of connecting us as, as men. And um, I think just really taught me the finer points of the game, it taught me discipline, um, allowed me to play my game, gave me some freedom to, to be able to play an offensive game and, and put me with people that would allow my strengths to, to show. So I thought uh, he was just a great coach. Awesome. awesome. And, and are things that you took from how he coached you that you now use today in your coaching career? I think there's a lot of things. I think there's a lot of things from him. I mean, certainly Jeff Jackson at Notre Dame was another, you know, influence on me for sure. And I think a, a good mentor in terms of my coaching. Um, but yeah, I mean, you pick and you pick and take things from everybody that you you're around, right? And I think there's things that you like, there's things that you don't like. But um, yeah, absolutely. From, I'm probably a, a smaller version of everybody that's that's been around me for sure. And you've worked with some really good coaches since uh, you started your your college coaching career. So let, let's talk about that. How did you end up at Niagara University? And I believe you replaced a previous guest, Allison Kumi, when she left um, to go to I believe it was Boston uh, to coach. And then you also coached one of the, our previous guests, our, our, our third guest, Sarah Zacharias, um, who's now coaching at Balmoral Hall. So uh, we've got a lot of Niagara alumni uh, who've been on the podcast, but talk about how you ended up at Niagara. Yeah, so uh, after, the, after the year of playing, um, I knew you know I, I wanted to either coach or, or teach. And I think uh, talking to a couple of people around me, you know, I had some good mentors and, and said, hey, I, I wanna try and explore women's hockey. What do you guys think? And they said, give it a try, you know, and I got into it. I was lucky enough to find that position at Niagara. Margo Page was a, a pioneer, you know, and, and still is a pioneer in the women's hockey game. And she gave me a position. It was, it was a quick process. I remember having like a phone interview on Tuesday and she's like, can you be out here by Thursday? And wow. I remember just packing up, just heading out and 
being there. I think it was like a week before this game. So it was, it was quick, but um, went there, didn't know much about women's hockey at all. Uh, honestly wanted to see what it was like. And the first year was amazing. I mean, just uh, learning, being able to coach, being able to teach uh, just, just, it was awesome. And I was in, and uh, you know, I've obviously been, you know, for 13 years later, here I am. So. And, and you also got to work with um, Chris McKenzie, who came in, uh, in in your third or fourth year, I believe, uh, who's now at, at uh, University of Connecticut. So um, pretty good experience there working with, with a, a very popular coach. Um, and then you moved over to Colgate. How, um, obviously, Niagara folded their team. So I'm assuming that, that was the reason why you had to move over. Uh, and you got to work with Greg Fargo, who also is uh, quite popular with, uh, with his, his players. What was that like working with him? Awesome. I mean, uh, you know, obviously working with Chris at Niagara was fantastic. I mean, he's a wonderful coach, uh, wonderful human being. And then obviously moving to uh, Colgate with Greg. I mean, Greg is, you know, working four years with Greg uh, was four years that, that have, have made me a better coach, you know, and I think he's one of the people that I lean on for advice and someone that just really uh, helps you grow as a person and as a coach and really tries to make that you make you think like a head coach. And uh, I remember leaving Niagara, you know, it was kind of the defunct head coach there for the last year, but there, there was no way I was ready to be a head coach. I needed those four years at Colgate as an assistant to really grow and put myself in a position to think like a head coach so that now when, you know, Union came around, I was more ready, more prepared. So um, Greg's a great mentor, great person, and, and obviously the program's doing well because of it. So I'm actually very curious to, to pick up on that point is what, what is the difference between being, you know, a seasoned assistant coach and being a head coach, right? Like you said, you weren't ready for it. What, what were the things that you really needed to, to develop to, to be ready to be a true head coach as, as you would define it? Yeah, I think, I think as an assistant coach, you have the benefit of making some emotional decisions. You don't have to worry about uh, the final decision. I think your relationship with the players uh, is pretty special as an assistant coach, right? You get to do the skills, the practice, the video, the hockey stuff. And I think as a head coach, you have to really control and dictate a lot of playing time. You have to make final decisions on things. You have to have more tough conversations and you have to be, be able to communicate. And I think that's the big thing that I needed to learn is how to think like a head coach, how to see the bigger picture more and how to communicate as a head coach. And uh, I think the, the way we can deliver messages and the impact that it has on our players was something that I needed to grow in and, and needed to learn and still learning, quite honestly. But I think um, you need that as a head coach. And I think that's super valuable. And I think that's what Greg was able to help me with uh, being an assistant coach under him for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I have... Two fundamental questions as you being the first male uh, Division One coach on, a, on, on the podcast. So one is how is um, coaching and, and just, just the style of play uh, different between women and men? Um, what, what was it that you had to learn and what was the adjustment just from a hockey perspective? Um, and then we'll talk about it, you being a male coach with female players. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Just from a pure hockey perspective, what's the difference and what did you have to le learn and what, what was you know, what was uh, interesting for you about the differences? Well, I thought, I thought, you know, I think one thing that I heard too, that I actually latch onto is, is a phrase I heard from a couple of friends of mine. They say, uh, men compete to bond and women bond to compete. And I've always just thought that that was interesting because I think being able to coach women now, they do need to trust each other to be able to compete every day. And uh, I think men are a little bit different in that sense. But I think when you look at the, the game itself, I mean, both games are fast. You know, I think both games are fast. You, you put body checking in men's hockey, it adds a whole other element that the women's game doesn't have. And, but I think when you look at the women's game, it's about speed, it's about skill, 
it's about making plays. Um, I think it's a pretty beautiful game in a lot of different ways. And I think you get a lot of different things because there's no hitting that you don't get on the men's side. And uh, to me, that was awesome. Being, being someone that was more of a skill-based player that, that appreciated offense, I think being able to coach the players and, and you know, promote some of those things that, that I liked and I, I felt like I could help them with um, was what I, I gravitated towards. And I think, uh, to me, that's the special part about this game. Yeah, in fact, uh, I had a coach uh, mention to me uh, recently in the last couple of weeks when we're talking about the new USA hockey rule changes uh, at the youth level. They're saying they're, they're trying to make uh, the game much more like women's college hockey, which is less hitting and much more around skill and much more around playmaking. So uh, um, I, I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so now let's talk about you being a male coach with female players. What's, what's that dynamic like? And, and what adjustments did you need to make from being on the boys' side to now being on the women's side? Well, I think, I think my coaching philosophy just in general, I've always wanted to just be a teacher, right? Like I think the, the, the classroom is the rank here and, and anything that I can do to teach our players. And I think, you know, certainly I think when you're growing up and you, you have some male coaches coaching boys, I mean, certainly they can be maybe a little bit more firm at different times or, or tougher or yelling or, you know, different things like that. I just think that my ability to connect with the girls is through teaching. And I want to be able to give them life lessons. I want uh, them to be strong, confident young women when they leave Union College. And, uh, you know, I really try and coach them and teach them like they're my daughters. I have two young little girls, and I want to make sure that um, they learn, they grow, they have a great experience, they have some fun. But um, I want to treat them with respect, and I would hope that they do the same for me. Yeah, yeah, and I know you got two young kids, so uh, actually when you had girls, I'm sure that was actually a pretty big, big smile to your face when you go, okay, they, they got a big future in hockey ahead of them if they choose yeah. to go that path, so uh, that's great. Um, so speaking of then still sticking kind with women's hockey, um, you've been deeply involved with USA Hockey. Why don't you just talk about your experience there, uh, especially working with uh, Maura Cromwell, who's the head coach at UMD, who was the head coach of the under-18 team a couple of, a couple of uh, for a couple of years uh talk about that and 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 your involvement because i know you continue to be involved which is kind of how we met yeah i've been involved in like the the summer development camps pretty much every year since i've been coaching so um, for at least 11 or 12 years and the last couple of years here pre-covid i was able to be a part of the u18 staff and it was something that was a goal of mine and um i knew i, I wanted to be part part of it uh you know like I, I was lucky enough to be part of that as a player but as a coach to be able to do that at the at the elite level um and, and just uh to put that usa crest on is is something special and uh you know luckily we were able to go to japan and uh win a silver medal there and then the next year come back and, and be able to win gold in slovakia was uh i mean something I'll never, that was a big yeah, shootout yeah something i'll never forget so just um, I think when you get around those players, I think the kids that, that are part of that program, you know, Hockey Canada, all the national teams, they're so driven. They're, they're such a special group. I mean, those kids care so much, uh, you know, and when you get them together in the same room and see how they grow and how they play for one another and uh, just playing for your country. I mean, it's just, it's actually an addicting environment. When you get to be part of it, you want to do it more often. And I can see why people want to play for so long with that, that program. It's just, it's amazing. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, um, as I mentioned before, we we start hit, hit record. I, I could go really deep on just USA hockey with you, which uh, maybe we'll do another time. But uh, let's let's move on to Union, uh, Union College. Uh, as it even says on the logo on your shirt, for those of you watching this on YouTube, uh, it was founded in 1795, and uh, it's based in Schenectady, New York. Uh, it's a liberal arts college, around 2,200 grads, at least uh, undergrads. At least that's what it was uh, before COVID. Uh, why don't you just talk about the school and kind of the academics of the school before we get into the hockey? 
hockey side of things and and why why uh you know talk about the academics and the education that people that players and just regular students get there at union college yeah so we're a small liberal arts school like you said about 2200 undergrads um you know set in schenectady here so kind of a different area we've got the adirondacks around here we got the catskills we got the berkshires kind of a cool area in the capital region um, you know, I think that the STEM fields seem to be pretty popular here, this, the science, technology, engineering, the math, um, but there's a wide array of different majors. I mean, small classes here, you're talking probably 16 to 1 in terms of uh, faculty to, to uh, student ratio, and uh, just quite honestly, a lot of, a lot of uh, family environment here. You know, I think it's when you look at the small campus, um, how it's structured, how they structure the academic plan with uh, the trimesters. And, and being something that's unique to what we do. Um, it's pretty cool in terms of how they set everything up and, and the kind of education that you get here. So um, we're very lucky. I think we're very lucky with the type of education that we get, the degree that you can get from here, um, the location, quite honestly, and even within our league. And uh, you know, then you couple that with having you know, two division one hockey teams with other division three sports. It's a pretty cool uh, environment to be part of. Right, yeah, so let's, let's now move into the hockey side of things. Um, obviously, the men's program had some tremendous success uh, several years ago, winning the national championship and having several uh, great years. Um, the women's program, I believe, turned Division One in uh, about 2003 or so, if I remember correctly. Um, maybe just talk about the facilities, uh, Mesa Rink at Achilles Center, which for folks, folks watching on YouTube can see in, in my background. Maybe just talk about the facilities, the background on the program, uh, and playing in the ECAC. Yeah. So we, yeah, we play in the ECAC, 12 teams. Um, we play with the Ivy League schools and then there's uh, six other schools that are non-Ivy. Um, but we play at Messer Rink. So Messer Rink houses both uh, men's and women's hockey here. Um, play all our home games, practices there. It's an older facility for sure. Uh, there's a lot of charm, a lot of tradition, as you can see in the picture here. We actually have a new video board that's up there instead of that scoreboard. But um, yeah, we're very fortunate. I think with our, our the facilities that we have, I mean, we're right on campus. Kids can walk from their dorms, from their living ranges, right to uh, right to the rink. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're looking, hopefully in the future, we're going to talk, start talking about a new facility and, and try and get that out there as well. But um, our programs continue to grow and grow every day. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and uh, let's talk about your staff. You had you hired two new uh, assistant coaches, Chris Ardito, if I'm pronouncing his name properly, and then one of your former players that uh, you coached at, uh, at Colgate, Brianne Wilson-Bennett. Maybe just talk about uh, adding them to the staff. Yeah, it's been, it's been really awesome to have two. First of all, I have a full staff because I had just one assistant coach here for the last couple of years, and, um, now having Chris and Bree and, um, you know, just going through the process, I know that we needed someone to be able to work with our goaltenders uh, that had some experience, had some recruiting experience, and I was honestly looking for some head coaching experience, and Chris kind of fit that bill really well, you know, with his time at Vermont Academy. Um, someone that's really articulate, someone that's very smart, really knows the game, um, and really can teach the game really well. And uh, someone I think that's really connecting well with our players. And then, you know, being able to have a previous relationship with Bree uh, at Colgate, being able to recruit her and understanding what kind of player she was, I thought she's the absolute perfect role model for the, for the girls on our team. She's done and lived everything that we want our team to be able to do. And uh, she's the type of human being and uh, player that I think we want 
our players to be. Awesome, awesome. All right, so let, let's just talk about um, the school, what makes it unique. So one of the things is that you guys do not offer scholarships. So before we get into kind of how you recruit players and what gets paid for, how, how is overall, how is the program funded at Union? Like, is it all based on student uh, fees? Is it, you know, you don't have a football program to offset all the athletics like uh, Michigan does or Notre Dame does. So how, how does that all work? Yeah, I believe, I mean, it's all funded through, yeah, I mean, kids are paying tuition. I mean, obviously, you know, we have our, our budget that we've got to make every year uh, that funds, uh, you know, travel, all that good stuff. But um, yeah, I would, I would assume in large part that everything's funded through tuition and those payments. So yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so you guys are uh, equivalent in terms of how you do your funding of, of the uh, of players, uh, similar to the Ivy League, um, without scholarships. Um, so how does that work? And how does that actually affect your recruiting? We're need-based financial aid, um, just like the Ivy League schools. So um, when we go and recruit a player, we will send them financial aid paperwork. We will get an understanding of where their family, what they can contribute uh, based on their income and based on maybe any assets that they might have as a family. Um, so the school will say, hey, we feel like this family can contribute, you know, X and um you know, we, we always tell people, hey, that's that's kind of a process for us, right? And we want to make sure that we can try and find a way to, to make this most suitable for your family. But um, that's basically how it goes. And I think how it affects our recruiting, I think, um, certainly I think when you look at kind of the financial aid uh, model, I think sometimes that has a stigma around it, right? And I think when you hear scholarship, everybody interprets things that scholarship is free. Right. And, uh, you know, financial aid, I think is, um, if you really do your homework and you look at it and you go through the process, I think you can find ways with financial aid that might even be better than some scholarships in different ways and different opportunities. So um, I think it's just a process that people have to go through, do an assessment on your family, get an understanding of where that fits and, uh, and see if it makes sense for, for your family. Yeah, you, you really need to look at the total cost of attendance, right? Like, so it's not just the tuition, right? It's also lodging, meals, books, uh, everything, you name it. That, that That's the total cost of it that you really need to look at, not just what the out-of-pocket for tuition is. Right? And, right. and I'm assuming that, 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 that that's something that you factor in in, in your analysis. Yeah, when we do it, we give them a total comprehensive fee with everything. And I think just understanding kind of what what that is, um, and then they kind of equate, you know, hey, this is this might be something similar as to two for four or three for four at another school potentially, you know, in some situations. And I think that's where, you know, if you really break it down into your homework, it's it can be really effective. So, um, candidly, do you think that the that not having scholarships just spooks some players, and they just don't even consider you because of that? I think so. I think, I think, you know, the financial aid model can be a hurdle at times. I think whenever you're asking, especially a school like ours that has a large price tag associated with it, I think uh, that can be a hurdle. It can be a challenge, you know, and I just think that you've got to find the right people that want to be a part of this place that, that understand what union's all about and, uh, and help them understand how the financial aid works. Right. So um, I'm confident. That I know the people that we have here and the people that, that we're recruiting people that, that enjoy this place and understand that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Now let's move to the hockey side of things. Um, and let's, you know, take you for where the program is or has been the last couple of years, because obviously you guys didn't play at all last year. And we'll get that into that in a moment. Um, what are you doing differently um, than any other schools right now so that you can move up the ranks? Um, you know, one of the challenges that I've seen by just looking, you know, it just doesn't take a lot of work to go figure out that you guys haven't really won more than 10 games since you've become a division one program. And I know that's, you know, your focus is to, to make you a, a real contender moving forward. But what is it that is, that's part of your strategy that, that helps you get you over that hump? 
Well, I think for us, I think just creating, creating an identity, like what, what kind of identity do we want to have on the ice? What kind of identity do we want off the ice? And then doing everything on a day-to-day basis and being consistent with it that relate to that. And, you know, what I mean by that is, is identifying what kind of players are union players and recruiting to that and developing to that and making sure that we just stay consistent uh, in that pursuit. You know, and I think, you know, what are we doing differently? I don't think we have like a magic formula. What kind of things are we doing differently? We, we are doing skills. We're doing video with our players. We practice. We try and, you know, push them in different ways. We're team building. We just try and be consistent with it. We try and, you know, make sure that we do it every day. And, and like we tell our players, is, is culture something that you do every day? And if we're not doing it every day, I think we're doing our players a disservice. So that's, that's what we try and do is, is kind of keep us unique by doing it every day. Gotcha. Gotcha. And as I kind of mentioned, you guys didn't play any games last year. And uh, I believe two thirds of your roster have never played a game. You're going to have your first game tomorrow. I, once again, I thank you very much for, for doing this podcast the day before a game where you can play RIT in Rochester uh, tomorrow night. Um, so what, what are your expectations for the season? And I'm assuming with a lot of youth in the lineup, there's both a great opportunity and probably a lot of development you're expecting for this year. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of video opportunities for sure at the end of the week. Um, we're excited. I think having 15 new players, you know, and, and having three goalies that have never played, having two new coaches, having a new trainer, having a new hockey operations person, it's, it's been just a lot of teaching for, for everybody, right? And I think uh, it's exciting. I think their, their energy is through the roof. I think they're excited to play. I think the biggest thing that we missed last year was just not being around each other. You know, we had with all the COVID restrictions, it's just not being able to eat together, maybe not being able to be in the locker room all together at one time. Um, and I think now just having these first couple of weeks to have time to bond and connect and, and just be together and practice together and compete. Uh, the kids want to play games. You know, we're going on the bus. I'm sure it's going to be an electric environment tonight when we get on the bus. Um, and the kids are going to be excited. And I, I know I've joked with some people and said, we're going to do something in the first five minutes of the game, uh, probably taking a penalty. We're going to do something that's going to be reflective of our energy. But uh, they're excited to play. And I'm, I'm excited to see how our team competes this year because I think we are going to be a lot more competitive. Our practices are more competitive right now. So I'm excited. Gotcha. And and what was your strategy during the time of COVID, you know, to prepare for this? Because, I mean, you've had a lot of time between games. So, I mean, other than the team building and the skill session, like what, what have you been doing to kind of prepare for this moment? I, I think in a lot of ways is, is trying to manufacture connection. You know, with with the restrictions, I think, yeah, there was a lot of skill time. There was, you know, we tried to use as much practice time as we could. But trying to use different opportunities to uh, foster connections in our group to make sure that, you know, this year's sophomores that were freshmen last year feel comfortable. They understand what it's like to be an athlete, even though they haven't played any games. And, uh, you know, trying to manufacture connections. And I think it's helped us in a lot of ways where the group came together last year. It's made the transition for the freshmen this year a lot easier. And it's helped us early so far. So I'm hoping that that translates now to, to be more about a more well-connected group as we start. Gotcha, gotcha. And and I kind of want to transition into the recruiting side of things, but kind of looking back, how, how did COVID affect your current team, right? Did, did you have players return for an extra year? And I'm assuming anyone who was was an underclassman, they, get, they still get an extra year of eligibility since you didn't play at all last year. Yeah, we, we had all of our seniors that were seniors last year that didn't unfortunately get to play. Uh, they all graduated. Um, they left school, um, and they're, a lot of them are doing different jobs or some are in grad school. Uh, we did have a player that was a freshman last year 
that uh, deferred the spring term. She's going to have to defer another term so she can play four years here. Um, so, and then we had, I think, one other player that actually left to stay at home at a Canadian university. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we're very lucky. I mean, we, you know, we didn't have anybody do any extra years, but we do have the one person doing the, the uh, extra four years here in the future. So we might have a few more of those coming up. We'll see. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and then kind of looking forward, if uh, I understand your roster pretty well, um, you're, uh, according to the Holly Hockey College commitments, you already have kind of your the, the folks that are supposed to graduate this year already um, replaced, so to speak, with uh, five five commits. And um, you don't really have anything commits for 2023, mostly because you're probably not going to have that many openings. Um, what are you thinking? What, what's your thinking about 2023? Because um, uh, Union is very much like a large number of schools where they're, they're, they have few, if not almost no commits um, over the summer, the blackout period ending. Yeah. So we're, we're trying to take our time. I mean, obviously we want to get people on campus here for 2023, have some visits, go through the process the right way. And um, some things that we couldn't do for our 2022 class. And uh, I think we want to make sure that we're doing it the right way. I think I'm a big believer in having people on campus, getting to meet their family, making sure that this place is a great fit for them. And, and they're, you know, they're obviously a good fit for us. As you know, I, I like to ask lots of recruiting questions. So these consider these more generic and more looking back at your entire time recruiting and not necessarily union specific, unless I kind of make it as such. Um, one of the areas that uh, I've been talking about on my, my blog my recent post is is the actual recruiting process and specifically around generating an offer. So I'm just curious, as, as you're kind of going through the funnel and narrowing down your players, we've kind of talked a lot about how um, players get identi identified at all these different events and how they start getting research. But how do you, how, in general, how do coaches rate and rank players um, as they anticipate, you know, um, you know, needing to make a few offers, uh, you know, at, at when the recruiting period opens for, for the new year. How, how does that work in terms of rating and ranking? Well, I think, I think it's you're always rating and ranking. I'm sure different programs operate differently, but I know for, for us specifically, I mean, you're always, whenever you watch events, you know, throughout the year, you're always ranking, re-ranking players based on how they fit your program. And I think for us, you know, you, certainly you have people on the board that, you know, your, your top players, maybe that a lot of people are recruiting, right? And I think, uh, you know, these are, these are situations where, you know, maybe your top players might be looking at different schools and then maybe your four, five, six player is really interested in union. And I think that's those decisions that you really need to have conversations about. And I think ultimately for us, like we, we want people that want to be at union. And I think that's a big factor for us when we go out and recruit and you say, hey, this, this player might not be number one on our board, but they really want to be here. And uh, we know when we have those players, we're going to get the best out of them. So I think that's how we kind of approach it. Um, you know, and I think once we find out that people want to be here, that want to be part of this program, that's when we start to figure out offers and, and go from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so that, that relates to kind of my next question, right? So, so there's some really well-known players who are clearly going to be on the, the top one or two of every, every team's list, right? Like the Lacey Edens or the Caroline Harveys, right? And they might be on your list. So like, and, and let's say they are talking to you, right? Like they're, you're, you're one of the five or six schools that they're considering. Like, do you wait before you go down your list until that's resolved or will you, you know, like, like a decision is made by that player or, you know, would you, do, do you go down your number three or your number four who clearly has shown a strong interest in union and say, well, like, we just can't wait. We, we know this, this player, even though they're not as high, we want to make them an offer. 
Yeah, again, and, and I don't know about, I can't speak for every program, but I know, again, for us, we, we won't wait. I think, we again, we want people that want to be here. And certainly we're going to take a stab and, and go after those those big fish for sure. Uh, but we want to make sure that we get people that want to be here and, and that we value. So we are willing to uh, go down the list and make sure that we secure people that, that we feel like we need. And then, uh, you know, kind of dictate maybe some of those top kids from there. Okay. And, and um, not... Just in general, because I'm sure you've seen this across multiple schools, even if they're they're not your schools. Do schools also like calculate yield rates? Like, hey, we're going to make seven offers, but we realistically only expect five, or will they only make five before they make the six or the seven after someone has turned them one or two down? Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I wish I wish I could speak more to that. I think in my experience, I would say that we're offering kids that that we want, so we're not going to throw a huge blanket out there and just you know have a bunch of offers out there. Um, I think we want to make sure that we have the offers out there that we feel like are important for our program. So most schools will not make an offer to somebody expecting, you know, only X number to actually accept. Is, is that right? They will only make an offer when, 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 when they yeah, expect Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'll be honest. I'm not sure. And I think that's, that's going to be different for each program, but um, I think that it might be a tactic and I'd be interested to see how that plays out now, especially with kids having to delay now with PG years, um, you know, transfers and all that stuff. So I'm not sure how that plays out, but I think, again, in my experience, I think we've offered people that we want. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how is this process different for goalies? Because, um, I was speaking to a couple of goalie uh, parents recently over the last week and a half, and there's a tremendous concern from 2023s because of all the commits and, and, you know, I, um, my next blog actually compares the 2023 commits to the 2022s and the 2021s, and it is significantly behind. I mean, it's, it's, it's less than half of the 2022s at a similar to this point last year kind of a thing. And for goalies, there's only been four goalie commits, but only one this summer. All the three were previous underclass, like um, uh, younger years, 2004s or 2003s. So how is this different from goalies? And, and you know, I just know from looking at Union, you have three, you know, underclassmen, uh, seniors, uh, sorry, uh, freshmen and June and uh, sophomores so you're, you're not going to need a goalie for at least two or three years at a minimum unless uh, unless something changes so how, how is this different for goalies well again this is my personal opinion too but i think i think goaltenders in in my opinion there's certainly there's some really good ones at a young age but i think goaltenders take some more time to develop i think you need to see them they need more games um i think they they tend to be really good towards the end of their career and they just develop later and i think quite honestly i think you're going to start to see more goalies obviously doing pg years because there's just a limited amount of opportunity but i also think too that you're going to start to see probably more teams carrying four goalies and uh, i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing like we, had, we had four goalies uh you know years to prove to, to COVID here and, uh, you know, I think having four, there, there's something to be said to have, you know, a solid like one and two that can play over a 34 game schedule that really help your team. So, um, you know, again, if I'm looking at it, if I'm a goaltender, I'm looking at situations again where I can go play, where I can find an opportunity to get into the lineup. But um, I wouldn't be opposed to being in a situation of four if I needed to be, because I think still, um, you know, it's going to be probably what's going to happen in different places. And uh, so there's a follow-up question because one of the parents actually anticipated this kind of answer. And they said, so if you're going to be that fourth goalie or you'll, you'll be the fourth one to join, like, what are the expectations? So like, are they, are they being recruited as a one or a two or are they recruit, being recruited as a backup kind of a thing? Or, or is it, you know, are, do schools basically say, well, we'll see whoever is, you know, 
who's performing best at the time you know like what's how are they what's the actual recruiting pitch to the you know to to the fourth goalie so to speak i think i think it's it depending on what they're looking for obviously right if they're looking for a traditional like a true fourth goalie then i would hope that each you know school is having that conversation and being honest with with that family um you know again i i think in my again my personal opinion i think honesty is the best way to approach it right if you're recruiting someone and you want to tell them exactly or at least what they you know could anticipate certainly they've got to come in they've got to earn their keep they've got to earn different opportunities for every position but um you know you want to give them some sort of transparency to say hey this is what we're recruiting you for you you know it's your job to earn that right and i think um i would encourage people to to do that you know just so there is transparency Gotcha, gotcha. So if they already have a number one, they could be transparent and saying, "Listen, like, she, she, she's a you know a sophomore, clearly proven herself as a freshman. You know, it's going to be hard to replace over the next three years. But if if you feel like you can do it, great. But let's be realistic about you know the probability of that. If uh, you know you got Aaron Frankel as your goalie, um, you know that 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 might be the situation. Okay, gotcha. All right. So um, related then to kind of setting expectations, what attributes are negotiable um, in an offer from a school? Um, in terms of, in terms of finances, everything, everything, everything. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, I think when, when people give out athletic scholarships, I know that's going to be something that's probably non-negotiable in terms of what, you know, school is actually giving them. Um, you know, sometimes the financial aid, what, what we say is the process, right? Is there ways where they can get more in terms of financial aid? Is there ways they can, you know, maybe something that the paperwork says that, you know, maybe our financial aid department didn't see, maybe there's a way they can get some more money in that in that way um other things that are negotiable man i don't even know i don't know in well, terms I mean, of time or know, anything like ice, that, ice time uh, which line we <laughs> play a power play penalty kill you yeah know, i think like i think uh maybe but uh, yeah i think i think a lot of that stuff is earned i think you know everything that that you come in i don't think is is ever promised i don't think we ever try and promise anything is you know we really believe that everything is earned along the way you know your financial aid number is what it is when you come in um you know but in terms of your playing time all that stuff like we never promise any of that we want people to earn what they get here gotcha gotcha all right so um like i said you know you you may not be a top five school right now hopefully you will be you know sometime in the future but how does that affect your recruiting in terms of um the 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 players that you go after and how they think about you because that means you know th there's a whole bunch in, in the middle you know that are not on either end of the standard deviation that are trying to figure out what the right matchup is and how does that affect you know the the time it takes for your recruiting and who you recruit well i think we you know again as i said we want we want people that want to be here i mean i think that's that's the big thing right but um you know we're when we recruit we want to make sure that that we're finding the right people for what we need, quite honestly. So um, I think, you know, when we look at where we want to be as a program, I think we're, we're trying to recruit to our identity. And I think for us, you know, we're trying to sell a certain vision. We're trying to sell opportunity here. You know, you come into a program that's trying to change and going to a place that one of the top schools that's winning national championships, that's a praying on NCAA team. That's a great experience. Right. And I think we're selling a little bit different experience where we're you can come into a program and you have a chance to really redefine what this program is all about. You can change it. You can put it on the map. You can take this place to uh, different first to things that this program's never done before. And personally, as a coach, going through that at Notre Dame, 
being able to hang my hat at the end of the day and say, hey, I was part of, you know, a national, you know, championship type of team. We won a first league title, first playoff title. Having a coach like Bree that's gone through it as a player, now we can sell that vision to players. And we want that from, from players that we're recruiting. So uh, to me, that's what it's all about, trying to find those players that, that want that journey, that, that have that kind of mental toughness and grit that can be part of that, uh, because it's hard. And I think uh, when we find those players, those are the people that we feel like are going to help us take that next step. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And um, given all the uncertainty going on, although, you know, we are no longer in the blackout period, but now we're in the, rec the true recruiting period, there's still a lot of stress going out there, especially for the 2023s. What advice would you give those players and their parents who are uh, clearly uh, concerned about their kids? Well, I think, I think number one is, is, you know, and I think I've heard it before on some of the other podcasts here is just, you know, continue to be patient. Right. I think just be patient with the process. It's really sloppy right now. There's a lot of sloppiness to the process and, and families are trying to figure it out, trying to figure out if post-grad years make sense. Um, but I think just be patient, understand that, that you uh, will hopefully, you know, continue to find a home here eventually if you do your homework. And I think, you know, when I say do your homework too, is just make sure that you control your process too. Right. And I think that's a big thing for families and, and just having two daughters is, you know, do your homework, make sure that you're asking questions to schools, look at who they've committed, look at their, their facilities, look at their academics, make sure that you feel comfortable with that school and, and do your homework on different places. Because I think sometimes when we have a tendency is to just, you know, ask a few questions or, uh, you know, maybe kids are committing to different places based on just a facility, you know, or different things. And I think when you look at the whole picture, um, you know, I think that's a really telltale sign of, of someone that's really educated in the process. And then, like I said, just, just own your process. I think don't let schools and, and, you know, I'm a coach of one, don't let schools own your process. You take control of it and, and you, you know, take your time and make sure that you're making a decision for the right reasons when you feel it's the best time. Gotcha. Gotcha. And if folks want to learn more about union, what's the best way to kind of, uh, introduce themselves to you. I know you have a recruiting questionnaire on your website and maybe for future um, uh, graduating classes. Um, I, I don't think I saw anything around summer camps for you guys, but uh, how can they start that process with you? Yeah, I think so. For people that we can talk to that are uh, grade 11 or grade 12 right now, I mean, I'd love to pick, pick up the phone call. Um, we'd love to have a conversation, send us an email. Um, for people that want to do or interested in camps, we will have camps coming up here in the summertime next August. Okay. Uh, we will have that. And then I'd encourage people, if they want more information on the school, get on, take our admissions tour, come to campus. You know, you can come on campus anytime, take a tour of the school, take an online virtual tour. Um, we've got a great admissions department, but I think there's a lot online that you can really learn about, you know, pick, pick kind of their brains of admissions about what the union's all about. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time because I know you got to hit the road, uh, head over to Rochester. Well, I wish you best of luck this weekend, but more importantly, best of luck with the season. And thank you so much for taking the time uh, the day before game day. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate having me. Thanks a lot. I really want to thank Josh for coming on the podcast. It was awesome to learn about the Union College Women's Hockey Program and his perspective on the recruiting process. And congrats to Josh and the team on winning their first two games of the season right after recording the podcast. And remember, if you got something out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like, follow, subscribe, and even better if you could leave us a review so we can keep sharing this important hockey information with folks just like you.